Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. What alignment I'm feeling and I feel very honoured to share this show with you with the amazing shamanic midwife, Jane Hardwick-Collins. This show explores birth, surrender and recognising our patterns of life. We hear of Jane's three birth stories from a cesarean birth with her first into two transformative births with her next. Jane describes the teachings that each birth gives us and how this is important coming into our parenting and later life. I feel that Jane has so much wisdom to offer and that of life experience and if you really want to understand the true nature of surrendering in birth then this podcast will be so in tune for you. This is great to listen to in all aspects of your life no matter if you're pregnant or not um, it's definitely well worth listening to these snippets of wisdom from Jane. I've certainly changed after listening to this and I believe that the work of the shaman is never easy yet it's birthing truth and our connections with the natural systems around us. Thank you Jane and enjoy. Uh, Hi, Jane. Thank you so much for coming to the Circle of Birth um, and joining in for the podcast. I appreciate your beautiful time and thank you for being here. (laughs) Well, thank you for inviting me, Ellie. That's okay. Well, so what I would love to hear and you've um, had so much work out here in the field and with women and birth and um, being a home birth midwife and we would love to hear your birth journeys and your transformation and I would love to engage in your story and with your three births Mm. as a mother of four. Oh, Oh, thank you. Well, you know, like all of us, I love telling my birth stories. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And um, they really actually kind of tell the story of the um, evolution of me, really, as I think all birth stories do. So um, my stories of birthing my babies start back when I was a 25-year-old who so wanted to have a baby. I just so wanted to have a baby and I wanted to learn everything I could about it. So I went and did my midwifery training. And this is back in the day before direct entry midwifery. This was... um, after I had already become a registered nurse, so I needed to just go and do a year extra at um, one of the hospitals. And I did that really like just busting to know about it so that I would know what to do or how it worked and all that kind of thing. And I did my training and honestly what I learned shocked me. And I, I had this experience that was really an awakening for me of the culture that we live in, the patriarchal culture that we live in. I I had no idea what the culture was really doing to women other than 
my own experience of being a, a young woman at the time and and feeling the difference between being a woman and, and what it looked like for being a man. And, you know, I grew up in a fairly typical patriarchal culture. I mean, sorry, patriarchal family. And, you know, my dad was the boss and my mother... I don't know if she actually brought the slippers to him, but, I, you know, she probably did. And um, so I kind of was a rebellious daughter of the patriarchy, but I really didn't understand or know the um, the way it was really working until I went and did my midwifery training. And what I saw there was nothing less than institutionalized acts of abuse and violence on mothers and babies masquerading as safety. And I was so shocked. And I just saw these women getting treated very disrespectfully and the babies were being treated like not like the sentient beings they are, you know, like I was, I was still, well, this is back in, um, 1984 and they were still doing circumcisions without any analgesia on the babies. So, you know, that was a horrible experience. Um, but also a beautiful experience in, in witnessing birth. But I got out of there as fast as I could after I finished my training and found the home birth world where I did an apprenticeship with a home birth midwife and unlearned most of what I learned in my midwifery school and started to learn from the real teachers, the women having babies. And I learned how many variations of normal there are by how many births I saw and how many women were doing it in their way. And... So I got pregnant during that first year apprenticeship with um, my midwife mentor and I had a had an exciting pregnancy. I was so happy to be having a baby and I was planning, I was a home birth midwife and I was planning to have a home birth and I I went into labor and labored on in a way that I was so in my head. So I didn't realize this until afterwards because you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And um, I was really kind of being my own midwife in my head by saying, okay, now this, this is, it's this o'clock now, so by that o'clock this will be happening and blah, blah, blah. And basically, long story short, I... I got to fully dilated and and pushed and I pushed and I pushed and I pushed for like four hours and couldn't budge his head and later realized that the head I couldn't budge was my own and um, ended up transferring to hospital back to that hospital where I did my midwifery training where where I I left with a oh you know hospital births uh, blah 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 and I'm going to be a home birth midwife so I had to go back to that place tail between my leg and legs and ask for help so it was a very humbling experience for me to do that and a necessary humbling experience where I learned some big lessons about about that and about myself and I ended up having a cesarean and this was certainly not my birth plan, as you can imagine. And yet there we had Sam, my lovely firstborn, who's now 31. And um, I recovered well and went home quickly. 
and was very absorbed in my life with my firstborn, newborn, and just loving it. And in the back of my mind, and I kept sort of pushing it away, was this like, oh, I didn't have a vaginal birth. Oh, I really wanted to have a vaginal birth, blah, blah, blah. And then I really um, I got stuck into the rest of my life, but this was always in the back of my mind. And then came time for my next baby to come. And Did you go back to see. midwifery during that point? Yep, yep, yep. I did. I was um, continued being a home birth midwife um, in the Manly area. I was working with a couple of other midwives there, and we had the group midwifery practice, so lots of births. And also I started a, a little business as well, making health food cookies. They're called Tahini Treats. They're still around today. That I don't, We don't own them anymore. Somebody else owns them, but I started doing a health food manufacturing business in my kitchen as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then pregnant with Ellie um, and very much wanting to have a vaginal birth, and fresh, really, in my mind were the words of the obstetrician who did my cesarean who said that my ischial spines, which are the bone, like the sit bones, the parts of your pelvis that you sit on, the, the narrow part, narrowest part of the outlet of the pelvis, he said to me in the operation, oh, Jane, your ischial spines are too close together. You'll, you'll never have a baby out of your vagina, so don't worry, just book cesareans. So with that in my mind and, you know, rejecting that as well, but still present in my mind, really knowing that I needed to delve deeply within myself to um, draw on whatever I could and needed to draw on to have a vaginal birth for my next baby. And so what I realized, and this was really kind of the beginning of the the work I do now, which is the shamanic Woman craft. So um, it was called shamanic midwifery then, but I'm um, not then. I mean, recently until I've had to change it to shamanic woman craft. That's a whole other story. But getting um, ready for the birth of my second baby, I realised the shamanic dimensions of what was going on. In other words, what lay beneath, what was in my inner world that was influencing my um, life, and. I did a lot of exploration, um, in, inward exploration of, to, in an attempt to understand why I had a cesarean. And so I took myself through this process just kind of like um, without really having any guidance from anybody or anything, but this has become the basis of um, my work today in that I I felt that the feeling that I had as a result of my um, kind of disappointment at not having a cesarean was actually a really common feeling. Like I knew that feeling. It was a very familiar, not common, a familiar feeling to me. And so I thought, well, when have I felt that before? When have I felt that before that, before that? And I tracked it back actually to um, the source of, of that feeling, which is the big clue, you know, it's the, the reason why, um, that whole kind of way of being started and and then kept repeating became like a pattern and a theme in my life. So basically, back when I was four years old, and I didn't I didn't even remember this, 
But when I was four, I was really, really sick in hospital. And the story goes that I nearly died. And you can imagine my mother there when she was, but, you know, I think I was in um, isolation. So she could only come in sometimes. So I was separated from my mum and my family and in this hospital. And, um, and and the story is that I nearly died. So my mother would have been saying, thinking, feeling, don't die, don't die, and don't give up and stay strong and all those sorts of things. And four-year-olds generally do what their mothers tell them to do. So I was strong and I didn't give up. And apparently they were going to do an operation on me the next day to remove half my lung. And then overnight, I miraculously recovered. So something happened, and I was as strong as I could be, and I fought off whatever was bigger than me, blah, blah, blah. So I got better and then grew up and blah, blah, blah. And then in my exploration to understand the feeling that I had with um, not giving birth to Sam vaginally was that what I didn't do was I didn't surrender. So... The clue that came to, from that story as a four-year-old for me was that I didn't surrender to the germ that was trying to, you know, that I was sick with. So I had made this kind of pact with myself that I would never surrender. So this is what I discovered when I was dredging deep into my psychology in an attempt to understand why I did what I did the way I did it. And this was such a freeing thing to understand because I could tell, you know, in birthing Sam that I didn't surrender. And I could tell that because I I couldn't, I didn't even know how to surrender. And um, at the time, I didn't realize this, though, but retrospectively, I could have figured that actually there were some connections to me sexually as well within my sexuality that... You know, when I was growing up, I didn't really find it very easy to have orgasms. I mean, I know that's pretty common, but, you know, the surrender you need to do to have an orgasm is the same surrender you need to do to have a baby. So when I knew what I knew, I could tell the connection. So what I had to do was to realize that I could surrender and that I would be safe to surrender And when I had my next baby. And so... And then I had a home vaginal birth with her, a six-hour labor, and and pushed her out. And it was, like, so awesome, so awesome to have a vaginal birth after cesarean. And I, I take my hat off to all the women who do that. It's such a big deal, such a big deal. So what I learned from... Sorry, go on. Sorry, just going back to um, just really interested in, I want to interject with that point where you found out about that story when you were four. So say someone that was trying to go back to that sort of childhood imprint, I suppose, or that programming, how Mm -hmm. did you find out about that story or how did you know to ask or did it just come to you and did you talk to your mum or how did that take place? Yeah. Well, it came to me to ask that of myself initially because the feeling that I felt at not having given birth vaginally, as I said, was a very familiar feeling to me. So it felt like part of me and I wanted to know why I felt like that. So I just kept thinking, well, when when are the other times that I felt like that? And that's when I got back to that um four-year-old thing, but I did actually, I I used to get migraines a lot, 
And um, one time I, um, you know, sometimes when I'd get the migraines, I would actually kind of feel like I was somewhere else. And now knowing what I know, it was back into that experience as a four-year-old. So, you know, sometimes I could even smell like the hospital room and, and things like that. So I know that that was a, like a foundational experience that I then configured my whole being around, which is what we do, you know, that's, it's, it's what happened. So, and yes, I did talk to my mum more about it and she told me more things which horrified me <laughs> and I realised the connection through that process. And learning that for myself, this is what I then took into my midwifery practice and helped other women to find out what lay beneath what happens, you know. So, you know, we can have the birth plan from heaven, but you may not you may not have that happen. So what Sam's birth taught me, that cesarean taught me, is that we have the birth we need to have to teach us what we need to learn about ourselves, to take us to the next place on our journey to wholeness as a spiritual being having a human experience. So I was really able to um, understand the, the the hugeness of the process. You know, our culture sees birth as some random isolated event that's actually dangerous and quickly get the baby out. But it's how you birth, how we birth, is a culmination of our life thus far. You know, it's like we birth according to our mindset, our fears, our beliefs, and our attitudes. And the birth I had of Sam was a cesarean because I wasn't going to let go because I didn't feel safe enough which had its roots in that four-year-old experience. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And do you feel like, um, I'm just picturing you going back to the hospital to have the cesarean with Sam, do you feel like that's given you a transformation in a sense, being that midwife student and having that feeling in the system um, and then leaving it to go and be a home birth midwife and then having to come back to the system for that help, um, more so like there it is, it's there if we ultimately needed because Sam had to come into the world this way. Um, exactly. And thank goodness that was there to happen. <laughs> is, did that, does yeah, that make absolutely. sense? <laughs> yeah, fully, you know. And it, as I said before, it was a hugely humbling experience for me. You know, I left my hospital midwifery training, a very cocky young woman who was going, nee, 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 hospitals suck, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I had to have that lesson to, to bring that into balance as well. Yeah, I'm just shaking my head. It's just such a transformation. I'm just thinking of all just came together. It did. Yeah. It was amazing. And the other, thing, the other thing too, the other clues we can have about our births are at what's called our red thread. That's the shamanic way that the mother line is described. So our red thread. So, you know, the way your mother gave birth and your grandmother and your great-grandmother and all of that kind of stuff. So, so often what happens in the female line in the red thread is a repetition of what's been going on, you know, forever, basically. And my mother, um, my, so, you know, the other connection is how you're born yourself. So uh, my, my birth um, was a variation of my mother's birth of my grandmother and my grandmother had three-day labours. So, you know, that's what they did back in the days. Back So that would be in the early 1900s, three-day labours. You know, they didn't do anything. You just waited until the baby came, right? Mm. So um, then my mother, when she birthed me, had the next had, had the 50s, 1950s version of a three-day labour where they 
knocked her out for the middle part of it. They used to use anesthetic agents and, and they would be unconscious. So then the body would just take over and, and the baby would be born. And then with Sam, I had the um, 1980s version of a three-day labour, which is a cesarean after 24 hours. Right. So there was, yeah, you get it? So yeah. there's, you know, there's there's my red thread playing out. Mm. And then the idea is that if I if I do the work and, and the um, consciousness raising and spiritual healing of my red thread, then we don't, it doesn't have to pass on to my daughter. So she hasn't had any babies yet. We'll see what happens when it's her turn. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, yeah. it's the true essential birthing for humanity, isn't it, that we... The healing needs to happen for humanity. Absolutely. And do you so believe so. the red thread can go upwards? So, if you heal with your birth and your birth experiences, can that go and essentially heal your mother and your mother's mother? Well, that's what they say, definitely. You know, it goes back and forward through time because um, it works in a way that doesn't see time as a lineal thing. So, it's like working on the um, knowing that everything's kind of happening at once and in that in that realm, everything affects everything. So, yeah, and I've seen that happen not so much with a birth experience story but more around other healings that happen, you know, like when you do the healing in your red thread, then um, you're not passing it on to your children and the, the issues that, that you had with your mother are less on those things. It may And it may not mean that you have to even talk about it. It's just the energy shift. So, yeah, it, it does happen that way. I've seen it with lots of women. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so back to um, your birth with Ellie. So how did you yeah. go leading into that? Yeah, well, so she was born a vaginal birth after cesarean back in the day when the story was still going on, once a cesarean, always a cesarean. So it was... Um, it was it was quite a um, a challenge, you know, like to to um, to face other people around doing that. And Ellie's dad was um, uh, a doctor, and his doctor friends were very disturbed by him permitting me to have a um, a VBAC at home. And poor thing was subject to a lot of um, you know, negative stuff from his peers and and was f- quite frightened by it. But I was, I was just so, so wanting to take responsibility for myself. And that's, that was really where I was coming from. I, I wanted to, I wanted to take responsibility for myself and to, to have a go at having the baby, you know, like I, I had booked into hospital and I had a backup obstetrician if I needed to have another cesarean and um, that was all good. And this is before, now I, mean, now I don't even, th- you know, now that you can't, the policies and procedures and guidelines are that you can't even have a VBAC at home. So, you know, it's bad news. But Anyway, so yes, I think that basically what I needed to do going into Ellie's birth was I needed to take what I learned from Sam's birth so that I didn't have to have the same experience again to teach it to me. So I needed to take surrender into my experience of birthing Ellie. So I surrendered. And then what Ellie's birth taught me was that once I surrendered, what I could do was to trust the process. So I just had to trust the process of birth 200% to be able to 
to bring her vaginally and she came and it, you know, it was amazing. And so I had, um, I had another, uh, my next baby with a new, new husband and a new baby, um, three years later. And, um, and I've been a home birth midwife all through it. And I've been teaching people about what I learned through my own experiences. And it was like really great. And, I started to, um, you know, learn more and more about what was going on and I was seeing the connection between um, the menstrual cycle and women's experiences of birth and learning more and more all the time. And then when I, um, when I was in labour with my third baby, Jackson, I, um, I needed to take with me surrender and trust the process like as my sequence that I needed to do to go in to have him does that make sense yep yep so I'm I was in labor with him and I was in a birth pool for the first time I hadn't had a water birth before I wasn't sure that I would want to stay in the pool when the baby was coming out I thought oh I'm going to want to have my feet on the ground blah 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 but as soon as I got in that pool, there was no way I was going to get out. <laughs> and um, I was there in the pool and it was so intense. Like the the contractions were so painful and I I was just thinking to myself, what am I doing? I'm, I'm fooling myself. I can't handle this. I need to go to hospital and have an epidural. So this is all going through my mind and I thought, if I say to Paul or to Shay and Cheryl, my midwife friends who were there, if I say, oh, I can't handle this, I need to go to hospital and have an epidural, I knew what they would say. They would say, oh, but you're doing so well. Oh, this must be transition, blah, blah, blah. So I, I knew that I actually had to go through what I was going through. Uh, there was no way out. And um, this was a big moment for me. And what I had to do then was the teaching from Jackson's birth. So I had to surrender, which was Sam's lesson to me, because, you know, our children are our greatest teachers, right? And the births mm. are the primo lessons. And just, just quickly, on a side to that, the quality, what I, what I know to be so, the quality that you learn about yourself from birthing, the baby is the quality you need to bring to mothering them. If I don't bring surrender to my mothering with Sam, then we just get stuck, which is her, his birth story. If I don't bring trust to my mothering of Ellie, then I can just get scared by what happens. So there in that pool feeling, you know, in transition, obviously, I had to just surrender and I had to trust the process. And then the next thing that happened was the gift of Jackson's birth. And what I just did spontaneously was to focus, because I was trying to get away from the pain, which, you know, there's no way away. So what I decided I needed to do, this is 25, 24 and a half years ago. What I decided to do was I needed to focus on the pain. And that that was just like this stroke of genius and um, I focused on where it was hurting me the most and as I focused on it 
this eye appeared in my in my mind's eye, like in a dream sort of way of seeing visions. I saw this eye, and I recognised it because I had seen it before in um, a shamanic bodywork session that I'd had, like a massage when when the masseuse was massaging certain part of my body, this vision came up. So I saw the same vision. So I recognized it. So it wasn't sort of like, ooh, what's that? I saw, ooh, there's that eye. <laughs> so it was familiar. And, and so, yeah. And so I, without knowing what to do, and I just say as well that um, there was drumming happening in this labor. So drumming like this. And I now know that... Um, I didn't know this at the time, but I now know that when there's that sort of drumming going on, it it harmonizes the left and right hemispheres of your brain. And the result of that is that you know what to do next. So the thing that I knew what to do next was that I needed to focus on the pain, not try and get away from it. So I saw that eye when I focused on it. And what I knew to do next was to go through the eye. So I don't know how I need to do that or whether that's an obvious thing to do or not, but this is all happening in like, you know, a tenth of a second. And I went through the eye and when I got through the eye, I was in a whole different state of consciousness and there was zero pain. So I went from having intense pain that I was trying to figure out how I could get an epidural to no pain. And I stayed in that altered state of consciousness with no pain for probably like, I don't actually know, but 20 minutes or so. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't know where I was. Like, I actually couldn't tell whether I was the baby or I was me or whether I was my womb or the contraction. And, and then what happened was I, I could feel the baby. I, I had my fingers inside me and I felt the last bit of my cervix open. And I, and I knew not to think too much about what was going on because that would snap me out of it. So I was consciously, you know, staying where I was in that older state of consciousness. And I, I felt the ba- baby's head moving down my vagina and the contractions going. And the photos that were still being taken of me at the time, I just looked like I was asleep. You know, I was having that rest and be grateful stage according to, you know, other people looking at me. Mm. Um, so, so basically I stayed in that zone for like 20 minutes as he, he came through the birth canal, through down my vagina, and I um, felt his head coming and nobody was realizing this was going on. And they just thought I was having a rest. And then I pushed his head into my hand and then waited for another contraction and then um, brought him, pulled him up out of the water through the surface of the water to the surprise of everybody because they thought that I was having a rest. Wow. <laughs> and there he was. And as soon as he left my body, my consciousness changed back into, you know, here and now. And I was just so stunned, so stunned. I had no idea what had happened to me. And how or why, and it was like incredible. And then, you know, then the placenta came, and blah 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 blah. And then, like in the in the days and weeks, not long after, I just said to myself, "What the fuck happened then?" Like I had no point of reference for that. I never heard of that. I didn't know any. I, I hadn't really 
I wasn't really a meditator at that point. I'd done a little bit of meditation. I'd done, I'd done some shamanic journeys, so I knew what an altered state of consciousness was, but I had no idea that, you know, I'd be able to access that how I did. So I went into, like, research mode and learned all about what happens with brainwaves in labor and... Um, fundamentally unraveled my experience to learn that what happened was that I went into what's called unity consciousness, which is usually only achieved by people who meditate for decades and decades. And, um, and that in that space, there's no pain. And so I know absolutely that if that happened to me, like, I didn't even know how to make that happen, if you know what I mean. I didn't even know that was a possibility. So if that happened to me, then that must be the blueprint for birth. And that, therefore, is possible for all women if they focus on the pain rather than try and get away from it. So I, um, so my teaching from Jackson, so the lesson I learned in, in his birth is about um, focus that leads to presence. And so um, I figured out how to help women have their version of that, you know, through explaining my birth and then in my practice as a midwife would bring that to them and the women that I cared for after that had their version of that. You know, it's always, it's never going to be the same, but their version of it. And um, it became the basis of, of what I wrote for my book, Ten Moons, The, the Inner Journey of Pregnancy. And um, what I teach, taught and teach in my pregnancy workshops, and um, which are now called Connecting with the Shamanic Dimensions of Pregnancy. And the basis of the work that I bring through my... I now have a school called the School of Shamanic Womancraft, which teaches um, all of this kind of stuff and the and the importance of um, all of our rites of passage and the spiritual practice of menstruation and and all of that. So my births really taught me a sequence that I apply today whenever I get into any sort of place where I don't know what to do. And it's I first thing I have to do is surrender. You know, and that usually means stop driving myself nuts about something <laughs> and trust the process and then focus and become present. Mm. And when I do that, and especially what I've had to do and what I need, what everybody needs to know is whatever you learn through the mother season of your life, and it will be birthing babies or birthing whatever, you know, birthing businesses or books or new versions of yourself, whatever you learn through your birthings as creatrix through your mother season is what you need to bring to the rite of passage of menopause. So it's really important that women figure out what their births taught them because they need to remember those lessons through their perimenopausal experience. So that's really, really significant. And I've had to apply that to myself over and over in my in my experience through my next rite of passage of menopause. And it's been the things I've needed to help me through the really rough times. So Is that you know, is that more too going into like um I know how you say the 
we get stuck on a, a the growth phase and you talk about birth growth um is it full bloom then yep. harvest, harvest decay, decay death and, and death re- and rebirth. rebirth yeah so yeah. there's get- so there's so much to the whole mer- menopause thing you know mm-hmm. like our culture just does not honour the postmenopausal woman. So how that affects each individual, you know, depends. But it's it's not seen as as a as something worth evolving into. It's yeah. seen as like you know the end, really. Yeah. And sixty five percent of women take hormone replacement therapy. So we kind of don't even know what normal is anymore. Yeah. And um, it's. It's very interesting. But yes, the reason why I think it's so difficult going in, going through the menopause thing is because um, it's, it is a struggle or might be a struggle or can be a struggle for some. And some people just breeze through it and others don't. But I think it's because of the fact that it's, it's, um, it's a rite of passage that is designed to heal all the unhealed parts of you. So everything that you've swept under the carpet through your life comes out at menopause, in perimenopause, before menopause, so that you can deal with it and heal it and leave it behind and not take it into your older years. So everything that arises needs to arise so that you can be with it in a healed way. 40 to 60% of divorces happen at menopause initiated by women. You know, it's a big time. It's because the hormonal veil of fertility lifts. And estrogen is is known as the hormone of compliance. So during our mother season years, we we, we seek peace. You know, we want everything to be stable and and good for the children and all of that. But when the veil lifts, when the hormone levels change, it's like a whole new person comes back. It's the the same woman as the pre-menarch woman or girl. So she returns and she's like, how come I'm the only one who does anything around here? Which is an often quoted comment of a perimenopausal woman. So, you know, it's a completely different game. So if we don't but, go and sh- clean under that carpet <laughs> earlier on, we come into menopause yeah. and we're going to have a whole pile of dust there that's that's going to need sweeping out. Exactly. And But there's ways to deal with it very simply and easily. Every menstrual cycle, which is the point of the menstrual cycle, it's a death and rebirth. Yeah. So just here's a little, little thing about the menstrual cycle. How are we going for time? We good? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Um, I could talk all day. So, <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing about the things that get swept under the carpet are the things that we don't um, let go of with our blood every menstrual cycle. So basically, in week three of your cycle, so the, the, the time after ovulation, um, after you just come down from the high of ovulation in week three, everything that's not working in your life shows up. And it's been turned into a syndrome called premenstrual syndrome. So because women are seen as cranky or moody or whatever, but what is actually happening is everything in their life that's not working is showing up. And it's never about anybody else. You know, it's, we've got to get out of this whole blame business. 
if something's not going right in relationship or in your life or in your work, it's no one else's fault. It's, it's something you need to take responsibility for. So the idea is that in week three, you notice what's not working in your, in your life and you let go of that with your blood and, and then give thanks on, at the beginning of the next cycle for what you need to replace that. It, that will help you live in a, in a, um, um, healthier in all, in all, in all meanings of the word way. So it's not that you have to wait till menopause for it all to come out. It, you have the chance to let go of what no longer serves every single menstrual cycle and every single dark of the moon and every winter. See, this is the whole thing. What, what we need to do is, is remember that we are earthlings. And so much of what I teach in my school is female earthling 101. You know, it's like common sense that's not so common anymore. It's like how to live on the earth with the moon and the seasons of the earth and to flow with the wisdom of the cycles because the cycle, as you so beautifully quoted, um, birth, growth, full bloom, harvest, decay, death, rebirth, happens with everything. It's the same cycle for everything. It just happens at different speeds. So a life cycle is however long a life is. The Earth's season cycle is a year, 365 days. The moon cycle is 28 days. The menstrual cycle is whatever it is. But back in the day before electricity, everybody used to menstruate on the dark moon and ovulate with the full moon. So <clears throat> this shows the connection between the Earth's Earth woman and the lunar influence too. So, so much has to be done in reclaiming our connection to the earth and therefore living it. And the menstrual cycle and our rites of passage are the teachers of that. Mm. It's just I'm going straight back to Jackson's birth there and then your transformation and then just hearing you then and it's just solidifying so many things in my head because... Um, you know, at this stage in my life, this is all I'm thinking about is this type of stuff. And I'm trying to get to that question, is it why are we stuck on growth as a society? And the more I heal my life, the more this comes clear and the more it makes sense is that we seem to be basing our lives on this linear type of scale. Um, the systems, um, medical systems, birth systems, it's just so many stuck on this thing where we're not honouring that complete cycle. And I, I remember exactly. years and years ago when I was travelling in India, one of the things really struck me, which was a little tweak in my transformation, was a lot of the temples where they had a bell that you would just ring sort of periodically to remind you that death is coming. And I just thought that was so beautiful because over there I learned so much about death and life, death, life and rebirth and it, this is it for me. And I, I feel like ever since I've had my transformation in my second birth experience, I'm thinking about death a lot and trying to honour that because it's that same respect is it, that we need to head into death as a society as part of this cycle, like you said, birth, growth full bloom, harvest, decay, death, and then rebirth. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just. It's yeah. so obvious though, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's obvious and it's such a huge <laughs> shift and this is why it's so important for you 
and what your message you're spreading into this world mm. at the moment and what a great message yeah. from that cocky young midwife <laughs> to this. I just, you know, it's this is it. <laughs> it's it's yeah. coming from experience and it's relaying that mm. message into a way that people can understand. Yeah, because the thing about it is like, Whatever, because birth is a rite of passage, and that's not some new age mumbo jumbo. That's like a, you know, that's an anthropological term. Yeah. And anthropologists have studied the effects of rites of passage everywhere. And basically, whatever happens at a rite of passage, and that means like who says what and where you are and what, you know, blah, blah, blah. And also, whatever's going on in your world at the time influences the experience. It teaches you on a subliminal level, which means you don't even realize it's happening. It teaches you how your culture values the next role you're going into. And so for birth, that's mother. And therefore, how you have to behave to be in that culture. So this all happens without you even knowing and is deeply imprinted. And that's why people just keep going back for the same thing because they believe that birth is dangerous. They believe that the safest place is with the experts and blah, 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 because their experiences have taught them that. And then that just keeps happening unless that you have what's called a shadow awakening. And that means that, you know, you have some sort of trauma or um, negative experience that you go hunting the reason for why and then it's called that's called a shadow awakening and you you figure out what's going on the other way you might avoid the modern day rite of passage of birth would be if if you've um, had contact with people who've chosen different paths but otherwise you wouldn't know you wouldn't know any different you know women think that they have to have pregnancy diagnosed by gps you know women know when they're pregnant all the power has been taken away from them by because we live in what's called a cult of the expert. And that is controlling people and controlling information. And any and this everything that has to do with the feminine that is seen negatively, you know, the menstrual cycle, the curse and birth dangerous and menopause like dangerous. Anything that's seen negatively about the feminine is a clue. It probably is a place that holds a lot of power. And we know that birth does. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's mm. very well said. And the other back on that whole thing about are we stuck on growth? Well, our culture is, you know, at, at like the most extreme pendulum swing of patriarchy. You know, all you have to do is look at American politics as an example of uh, a readout of how fucked up the patriarchy is and the misogyny and the environmental and blah, 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 blah. So um, the culture is stuck on on. Like you can't even find somewhere dark in the city anymore. There's no darkness. It's all light because of the light pollution, which throws everybody's menstrual cycles out. Agriculture, look at what's going on in agriculture. You know, they don't even let land lay fallow for a season. Mm. They just grow, grow, grow. They have to feed the, all the chemicals into the earth to keep it productive and that's messed up the earth. So we've lost the micronutrients so we can't even eat food that's wholesome anymore because the earth has been um, depleted so much from being made to keep producing. And that's kind of like what it looks like in agriculture. 
And then the same thing's happening in, in business, you know. Um, people just have to keep working, work, work, work. It, it's, it's messed up. But, you know, usually what happens before a shift is the most extreme examples of, of whatever the current thing is show up and are like the, the, you know, the farewell of the worst of the worst before the new comes. So yeah. hopefully Crea- that's creation, what's happening. Creation, destruction, I suppose, isn't it? Or destruction, yeah. creation. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. So, if you look at it, it's if you become the shadow awakening and came into consciousness and awareness, then Earth going through its own trauma is going to reset and start reprogramming. Then it's like if we're in tune with the natural systems, then we have more of a chance of surviving as a species. Because sometimes yep, I, I, I feel, especially with the, the microbes, I feel they're going to get to a point one day and it's be like, well, these humans aren't exactly working out for us. I think we'll, <laughs> I think we'll, <laughs> no, I think we'll get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, just, yeah. we're just trying to control yeah. too much and it's, um, yeah, yeah. I, I've got the same feeling. I know it's not working out for me. So, you know, mm. I'm definitely trying to realign myself into more patterns of consciousness and awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, like I, I didn't think that there could be anything much bigger than the transformation potential of birth until I went through menopause. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, that's, it's just it's the next level. Assume death will be. So you probably eat, I would say, pretty well in that respect, wouldn't you, in terms of menopause yep. and looking after your estrogen and because that is a big thing coming into menopause, isn't it, diet and environment? And... Yeah, absolutely. And we live in a, in a world that has estrogen dominance in the environment. environment so yeah. we're all kind, yeah, we're all kind of going to uh, be influenced by estrogen dominance because, like, you know, there's um, – 65% of women of menopausal age are on HRT and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of women are on the pill and they all, and Implanon and Marie, you know, all the hormonal contraception and all the urine of all those women goes into the water table. So all the water that we consume has estrogen in it mm. and all the plastics that, our food is subjected to and the fertilizers that the food is grown with all have estrogen mimickers in them and so our bodies are just totally overloaded with estrogen and this is you know like this is where all the polycystic ovary stuff all the endometriosis and all the menopausal symptoms and the and the um, menstruation problems are coming from this species of um, frogs and other little Creatures that are now growing um, hermaphroditically, well, however the right way to yep. say that is, yep. Yep. the, the est- estrogen dominance is totally messing everything up. Okay. As well as you can get through menopause, you know, you can do all the eating and all the right um, things, but still estrogen dominance is affecting everybody. If you could look mm. at it in, I, this might be going a bit off track, but like water consciousness and the 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 water memory and the imprint of that too. So it's it's like yeah. we have a we've got a big job. <laughs> to, to we do have a big job, and you know, like what you're doing by bringing awareness to birth is like one of the main portals for this because. 
in our world, what I've seen is that um, it's often during pregnancy and in contemplating birth that women wake up. Yes. They certainly, unless they've had massive trauma in their lives and had lots of people die around them, it's often the first time they even think about birth and death. And it's the first time that they start thinking about what they want to do that might be different to what people say they have to do and things like that. So the birth rite of passage, the pregnancy and birth rite of passage is certainly a way and a place where the women are, are interested, you know. So it's it's one of the ways that we can help raise consciousness is uh, through education around birth. Yeah, definitely. And it's I suppose when you're pregnant and birthing, it's that um, you're tapping into that creative consciousness part of your your brain um not your subconscious so like you said you're more open to Mm. what's around you and so if we can spread the word more and have that around us as a culture then definitely Mm. yeah but no the control that's being used over women and birth is pretty full-on like i mean you're not even allowed to say independent Mm. So um, private midwifery, which is really not what it is anyway, it's just trying to use the same language they do with medicine, but midwives are being so controlled and um, regulated and home birth is just getting more and more squashed and, you know, it's not a good day for birth. Yeah. So it's a a shift, isn't it? The the shift in the cycles of the world and it's um, if we can... I suppose, like you said, it's happened before. So we need to heal and grow and the more healing we do, the easier it is for the next generation and the next generation. So That's right, yeah. yeah. And women need to take responsibility for themselves. Yes. And and and, and their choices and decisions. And choice is a stupid word anyway. It should be yeah. decision. It's not a shopping spree. Yeah. There's decisions, not choices. And um you know, and and to tell the the well-meaning fear mongers, don't worry. You know, I'm taking responsibility for my life and my baby. Thank you for your input, but I don't want to do it that way or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and to become informed about things because, like, a lot of the things that are being done to women don't aren't really even what they call best practice. So evidence-based you know it's not like gestational diabetes is a questionable diagnosis it's the if people people really need to do their reading and and beyond what the doctors say Mm. and the whole group b strep thing like there are so many things being done to women that don't really have good evidence-based structures behind them so women need to take charge of their lives and not just be good girls and do what they're told yes and it's exactly like you're teaching it's to go inward um to connect back into especially when you're pregnant to connect to your baby inwardly and connect to your baby yep yeah yeah and and to to know that you know as annoying or painful or disappointing as it might be, you will have the birth you need to have to teach you what you need to learn about yourself. 
to take you to the next place on your journey to wholeness. Mm-hmm. And it could be that you have an experience that teaches you that it's important to stand up for your rights, you know? Yeah. And it might be that you learn that by not standing up for your rights, for example. Yeah. Like, you know, what I learned from Sam's birth and that cesarean, I learned about surrender. I learned that I didn't do it. I learned that I didn't even know how to do it. But I learned about surrender. Mm. So, right. you know, good news. Can, can I ask you just one more question, which might be Definitely. a bit odd, but I can't stop thinking about that moment that you had with Jackson and how mm-hmm. you stepped through the eye portal yeah. um, type thing. Do you feel, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I keep thinking about life, death, life, that rebirth type of thing. Do you feel that that's your kind of, so say coming into your death, do you ever think that that eye might come back and that's your step into that, mm. that space? Into you? Yeah, maybe, you know, like I've thought about it being like the eye of the storm or the portal at the void. Yeah, yeah. you know, it was kind of cartoon style and it was blue and green is a little bit confusing, but, wow. you know, yeah, yeah. well, I'll tell you when I die. Yeah. <laughs> you can let me know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like the eye, the eye is, um, you know, a classic mystical um, image that leads you from one place to the next. So that I would create in my mind a recognizable symbol, recognizable to myself, but also like, you know, in symbols analysis that, um, it would mean and indicate that it was part of the collective um, unconscious that that image would show up and and uh, be a translatable language that it was a portal. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, so, um, but, you know, it might not be an eye for someone. It might be something else. It could be a bridge or a, I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it might not even be a visual thing. Yeah. It depends. It's what, it depends what you do. You know, it could be auditory. It could be someone saying "come" or I don't know. It could just be a kinesthetic thing and knowing. Mm. Yeah, and it's just yeah. being o- it, open to that and to step into it. Like yeah. it was. It was really about meeting it and stepping into it, as opposed to running away and hiding. Yeah. And 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 the presence, like the focus, that brought me to the presence to be with what was. Not what I wished was happening. See, that's the main, another really important thing about birth and midwifery 101. You, we need to be with what is, not what we wish was happening. Yes. Be in the present. And if you are, yeah, if you are with what is going on and be present with it, then it will do its magic. If you stay with your heels dug in and hands on your hips and saying no to that, I mean that metaphorically, then that's not presence mm. and that's not um, with what is. It's in a space of um, rejecting what is. And mm. when you reject what is, then you just get stuck. Yeah. And then humanity gets stuck. <laughs> yeah. So, so the transformation helps all, everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. <Surrender>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, one woman doing it helps all women. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. 
Jane, how do we get um, – I've got your awesome ten moons in front of me here. How do people get your copy of your book and see your work? Um, what's the best place to start? Okay, well, I've got a few websites um, and the bookshop on my website. So that's moonsong.com.au. Lots of articles on there that I've written about birth and rites of passage and, and all kinds of things. And and it's got the um, where you can buy my books. I've also written a book for girls approaching menstruation called Becoming a Woman. And that's good for girls of every age because it's all the information they didn't tell you if you didn't have a awakened um, menarch. Uh, so moonsong.com.au. And I run workshops in... Um, Sydney and Melbourne and up in the Byron Bay area every year, the Connecting with the Shamanic Dimensions of Pregnancy workshop. And I also run a workshop called Moonsong, which is uh, reclaiming feminine power through reconnection with mysteries. So it's learning all about the wisdom of the cycles and the spiritual practice of menstruation, which is like something that everybody needs to be doing um, and I've written about that on my website, if that's interesting. And I also uh, have janehardwickcollings.com, which features the new blog series that I'm writing, which are sharing the teachings that Aboriginal elder Min Maya has been giving me. So that's something awesome that happened just a little while ago. So she's a Wiradjuri elder woman, an um, important teacher within their people and she called on me she said i've been watching you for a long time jane and it's time for you to learn this the teachings of this land and to incorporate that into what you teach so i've written um three blogs and there's a new one coming soon to in line with beltane wow. we're sharing the information that she's been teaching me which what, is what so awesome oh, what, what an honor, honor. Oh. what an honor yeah. i'm just so like honored <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i also have um i have a school called the school of shamanic womancraft which you mentioned before and there's a website for that too, schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com. And we've also got Moonsong and School of Shamanic Womancraft Facebook pages that have a lot of stuff going on as well, and also Instagram accounts for lovely pictures. Great. I'll, so the School of Shamanic – sorry? I'll link to all them on the blog too with this podcast okay, great. episode for everyone. Thanks. So the School of Shamanic Womancraft runs year-long or two-year-long uh, seasons journeys where it's basically a deep immersion into this work and oneself. And they happen up in the Mullumbimby area and also in Victoria, Otways. And I'm going back over to England to do another one over there starting in February. And um, calls for it, please can you come to the USA? And I also do a retreat in Peru and talk at all kinds of conferences and gatherings and festivals. Going to do a big thing down at Rainbow Serpent again this next year. And cool. yes, it's it's there's lots of work to do. So yeah. that's what the School of Shamanic Womancraft is all about. It's about um, raising consciousness for women and training priestesses to do the work that I'm doing, so that we can all be doing this together and we can help shift the paradigm. Yeah, very important. 
Mm. Great. Thank, thank you so much. I'll link all that um, information on the notes so people know where to head to. And there is places still for next year for your four seasons journey and the eight seasons too with Tallulah, I believe. That's right. Yeah. And the Victorian one is with Nim Fox Harper and there's places for that too. That starts in December in the Otway. Great. Excellent. Jane, I just thank you so much. It's just, just turned out beautifully. I had such a great chat with you and I feel very blessed that you could share those stories with us. Um, thank oh, you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> oh, thank you. No and good problem. on you for what you're doing. Good on you. Yeah. Thanks, Jane. Okay. Thank you. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom and birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. Thank you.